Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. Thank you so much for being here. You can go and find a seat. And we are in a series of messages that we've been calling Happy Camper throughout the summer months. And we're studying the book of Philippians verse by verse. And we're learning how to have joy no matter what circumstance we might be in. Uh, No matter uh, how bad things might seem from an external perspective, that God is always working behind the scenes and how we can tap into the joy uh, that Paul was talking about here in this letter. And uh, Paul was writing to some of his greatest friends in the world, and uh, he was writing from prison to a place that he was once in prison, and the theme of the book is joy. And so we can learn uh, how we can have joy uh, no matter what our circumstances are. Philippians chapter number three this morning is where we're going to be. Philippians chapter number three. If you're there, would you say amen? We'll start reading in verse number one. The Bible says this, finally, my brethren, rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. Rejoice Rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you, it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship, worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh he hath uh, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But watch verse number seven. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss, for Christ. Those things that were gained to me, I count loss for Christ. Today I want to bring a message today that I'm calling All That Matters. All That Matters. Let's have a word of prayer together today. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us, and God, thank you for uh, this opportunity to worship you. God, thank you for uh, the songs that we've sung already that have helped us and steered us in the right direction, God, to receive a word from you today uh, from Philippians chapter number three. And uh, God, today I pray that as we go through these verses, as we navigate this text, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in advance. And uh, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill me and uh, illuminate this text for us. God, I pray that we can be hearers of the word and not just doers only. God, I pray that we can have a true understanding of what Paul was trying to communicate to this church about what really matters in life. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Uh, Recently, I was cleaning out my garage, which I like to do from time to time, and uh, I found this old bin that I hadn't seen in years. And uh, this bin has gone through several different phases. It was once a Christmas bin, but now it's just regular decor. But really what was inside of this bin is some of my valuables that I had growing up. How many of you have a bin somewhere in your garage or somewhere that has some valuables that you had uh, when you were growing up? And so I thought I'd bring uh, this bin for us this morning and show you what some of my valuables were. Would that be okay this morning if I did that? And uh, for the four of you that are interested, okay, I'll show you guys. 
And uh, one thing that I was always wanting to hold on to when I was growing up is anytime I got a new phone, I would hold on to the phone box. And so I have an iPhone 3 phone box, okay? This is classic, probably worth a lot of money someday, so that's why I'm holding on to it. And uh, I had some other things in here. I had some uh, trophies, all right? So these were valuable to me, some trophies. And uh, one thing that I was very interested in growing up that I had thousands of these when I opened up this bin was baseball cards and basketball cards, right? I just remember going to school and, and uh, trading these every single day and trying to collect, you know, as many cards as I could. So I had so many of these. Uh, I also had in this box my old football jersey. There it is. And I showed this to Katie, and she thought it was kind of cool until I told her that it was actually flag football. And uh, she looked at me like, who are you? <laughs> like, I don't even know you. And I have my jersey. And I remember when I was in eighth grade, my parents told me that we had a, a fine arts competition at our Christian school, and we had to uh, uh, preach in this competition. And I entered the preaching contest in eighth grade, and I'm proud to say that I got third place in the preaching contest. <laughs> True story, there were literally only three people in the competition, but hey, I got a medal. Got last place. But depending on your perspective, I got a medal, right? And uh, so I was looking at some of these things, and I was kind of reminiscing and kind of taking a trip down memory lane. But as I was standing there in my garage looking at some of these things, I was reminded that so often the things in life that we value and the things that we invest so much time in, they don't really matter, and as we go through different stages of life and different seasons of life, of course, our values are going to change. We're going to be interested in different things. But the question remains the same. In life, what really matters? What are things that are really going to matter in all of eternity? This is something that uh, Solomon, he wrestled with in the entire book of Ecclesiastes. And he says this, Ecclesiastes chapter number 2, verse number 11. Then I looked on all the works. Everybody say, All. All the works that I had done, everything that I had accomplished in my life, that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Solomon said, man, when I was surveying my life and when I was thinking about all the things that I was able to accomplish and all the things that I could build, I realized it didn't matter. See, Solomon had a little bit more than just one bin of valuables. He had palaces filled with treasure, and he had uh, built so many things and accomplished so many things, but even he knew that it didn't really matter. I think Jesus uh, said it most emphatically when he said this in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. For what shall it profit a man if he will gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What does it matter if we can accomplish things and if we can uh, uh, earn some money and make a name for ourselves? What does it matter if we lose our own soul? There was a, a time in the uh, New Testament, Luke chapter number 10, when Jesus is at the house of Mary and Martha. And they're uh, uh, so excited that Jesus is there. And so they're kind of busy doing some things. And, and Martha is busy serving. And Mary is at the feet of Jesus. And it says this in Luke chapter 10, uh, verse number 41. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. So Martha was running around the house, and she was kind of getting everything ready and cooking and serving. And Jesus said, uh, Martha, you're doing many things, but one thing. Everybody say, one thing. And so Martha was doing many things, but Jesus says, there's this one thing that is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, uh, which shall not be taken away from her. See, Mary was at the feet of Jesus. Mary was focusing on Jesus. And Jesus said, that is the one thing that is important. See, in life, there are many good things that can distract us from the best thing. And so this morning, we have to answer this question, what really matters in life? When we come to the end of our lives and we look back on our accomplishments and we look back on what we were able to do in our brief time here on earth, what really is going to matter 
in all of eternity? And this is the question that Paul answers in, Luke, in uh, Philippians chapter number 3. And uh, he's going to talk about uh, how we can live a life that really matters and what really uh, matters in life. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 119.37. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in thy way. And I love that heart of the psalmist, this prayer that he says, uh, it's the desire of my heart to just turn my eyes away from anything that's going to distract me, something that doesn't really matter in life, and, and make me alive in the way that you want me to go, in your will. That's what I want to focus on in life. Paul put it this way in our text this morning that we're going to unpack in verse number 7. He says this, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. And so when Paul was surveying his life and when he was looking back on his time and looking at uh, his bin of valuables and his accomplishments, he says, man, those things that I thought were really important, those things that I thought were gained to me were actually loss for Christ. And so this morning for a few minutes, I want to talk about how we can live a life that really matters for the glory of God and how we can come to the end of our lives and we can say uh, that we uh, did it all for the glory of Jesus Christ. If you're ready this morning, would you say amen? amen? I want to give us three ways that we can focus on what really matters. Just three uh, simple ways that we can focus on this from uh, Philippians chapter number three. Number one is this this morning. We have to rest in the safeguard of repetition. If we want to give God glory and we want to live for things that really matter, we have to rest in the safeguard of repetition. Notice what our text says in verse number one. He says this, finally, my brethren. Now, you have to understand when Paul says finally, he's a preacher and he's just getting to the halfway point of the book. But he says, finally, my brethren, uh, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you, it is safe. And so Paul opens chapter 3, and he's saying, hey, I'm going to uh, remind you about some things. I'm going to reiterate some things. I'm going to uh, repeat myself in some areas, not because it's grievous for me, but because uh, for you uh, it is safe. And he's going to remind us about three things. First, he's going to remind us to rejoice. Notice what he says. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice. Now, can you imagine being in the Philippian church and, and uh, you receive this letter and Epaphroditus comes back and you're really excited to hear about what Paul had to say and they, they open up this letter and they start reading it and time and time again, Paul's saying, hey, rejoice and make sure that you are uh, being filled with joy and rejoice and rejoice. And they're thinking, man, Paul is just hammering this idea of rejoicing, but Paul has no idea what I'm going through. Paul has no idea about the pain that I have experienced. He has no idea about the loved one that I just lost. And he has no idea that I just lost my job. And he has no idea about the circumstances that are facing me. But he's telling me to rejoice. There's no way that I can rejoice in that. And Paul says, but actually you can. Because he doesn't just say rejoice, period. He says rejoice in the Lord. See, that is the qualifier for the command. See, whatever we're going through, we can always rejoice in the Lord. See, that, that, that is what makes our faith and that is what makes our joy indestructible, uh, that we can rejoice in the Lord. No matter what we're going through, there is always joy to be found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So we can joy. Hey, if you lose a friendship, if you lose a loved one, if you lose a home, if you lose a job, can I just encourage you today that you will never lose your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so no matter what you're going through today, you can rejoice in the Lord. He says to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. There is safety in rejoicing in the Lord. Uh, the Bible says this in, in John chapter 16, verse number 22, and ye now therefore have sorrow. But I will see you again, 
and your heart shall rejoice. And I love this next phrase. In your joy, no man taketh from you. Nobody can rob you of your joy. Nobody can steal your true biblical happiness and everlasting joy. Why? Because your joy is connected to the Lord. So no one can rob us of our joy. This is something that David had to learn in the Old Testament. The Bible says this in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse number 6, and David was greatly distressed. How many of you have ever been really stressed out? Can I see your hands? You were just like in over your head, had some anxiety, discouraged, distressed. This is where David is. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him. I'd I'd be stressed out too. People were getting ready to throw rocks at me to kill me. Okay, uh, I think you can be stressed out for that. Uh, Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself, period. No. But David encouraged himself, In the Lord. He encouraged himself in the Lord his God. See, David learned that when he was going through a difficult season, he could still tap into that eternal joy. He could still tap into his relationship with God. And so he learned that he could encourage himself. He wasn't even going to wait for someone else to encourage him. He said, hey, I can encourage myself because I have a relationship with the Lord. And so he was rejoicing. And so Paul is writing some of the same things to us, and he says, rejoice in the Lord. But then uh, he's going to give us another reminder. He says, remember what you've been taught, because he says, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, to write the same things to you. He says, I'm going to write the, the same things to you. Now, he is a good communicator, and so he knows the value of repetition and repeating some of the same things over and over again. Of course, he's not talking about vain repetitions. Uh, the Bible says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 7. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. And so uh, Paul's not talking about just empty, vain, uh, religious repetition just for the sake of hearing yourself over and over again. But he is talking about uh, repeating uh, some of the essential doctrines and reminding ourselves of some of the things that we've been taught. He says, to me, uh, this is not grievous. It's not troublesome for me to do this, but for you, it is safe. And I just want to encourage you today that wherever there is repetition, there will be protection. Be very careful that you don't come to a place in life where you start to think, I've heard this one before. Oh, Philippians 3, I remember this one. I got this. I can kind of check out now. Uh, I know what this one's all about. He says, no, it's good to remind ourselves over and over and over again. Aristotle, he's the one that says this, it's frequent repetition that produces natural tendency. And so until it becomes muscle memory, until we do the same things over and over again and remind ourselves of some of the essential doctrines, uh, we should never get over those things. It's the repetition that leads to protection. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 12 puts it this way, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance. Everybody say remembrance. remembrance. Remembrance of these things, though ye know them. And be established in the present truth. And so Peter was saying the same thing. Hey, it's good for you. It's good for your protection. It's good for your safety if I remind you of some of these things. And so I want to encourage you this morning to rest in the safeguard of repetition. Um, uh, William Barclay, he said this, No teacher must find it uh, a trouble to go over the great basic truths of uh, the Christian faith again and again. Uh, for that is... The- Uh, For that is the way to ensure the safety of the hearers. We may enjoy the fancy things at mealtimes, but it is the basic foods on which we live. And so he's saying there's safety in learning the same things. By the way, I believe at Rock Hill, we ought to be a same things church. Uh, we, ought, we ought to be a same things church. Now, we're going to try some new methods. We're going to try to reach people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. But at the end of the day, can I just remind you that it is the same book. It's the same cross. It's the same empty tomb. It's the same message that we are bringing into our community. It's the same things that lead to protection. 
And so he says, rest in the safeguard of repetition. And so he says, uh, you need to uh, uh, rejoice. You need to remember some of these things. And then he says, you need to remain on guard. And if you're still with me, would you say amen? amen? He says, you need to remain on guard. Notice the next verse, verse number two. He says, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And so now Paul kind of turns he kind of turns a corner and he says, "Hey, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord." Then he comes to verse number 2 and he says, "Beware. Uh, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision." He's saying three times this triple warning of beware because Paul is teaching us and he understands that the devil wants nothing more than to rob you of your joy. And he's saying this, if you want to be joyful, you've got to be careful. Many times people aren't joyful because they're not careful. They're not careful with the influences that they allow to come into their hearts and into their minds. And so Paul's saying you got to be, beware. Now, now, when Paul says beware of dogs, in our culture this not, might not immediately make sense because dogs to us are, are friendly, cuddly little creatures, right? Like a couple months ago, our family, we got a dog. I brought a picture this morning. It's not working. You guys are going to miss out. There he is. There's our dog. There he is. And when Paul says, when Paul says that, that uh, we need to beware of dogs, he's not talking about, you know, these friendly little animals. Because in this ancient culture, dogs were kind of gross, mangy uh, street animals. And so uh, Paul is saying, hey, you need to be aware of these things. And he's alluding to these dogs, these evil workers. He's alluding to a group of people known as the Judaizers. Now, this group of Judaizers, what was taking place is they were a group of people that they accepted the grace of God, but they wanted to partner the grace of God alongside of uh, the religious Old Testament law. And so they were saying, okay, we'll accept the grace of God. That sounds good. We'll accept Jesus. But you also have to have the Old Testament law. And so Paul was saying, hey, beware of this. This is a corruption of the gospel. Beware of these dogs. And it's, it's ironic because the Jews used to call uh, the Gentiles dogs out of hatred. And Paul said, actually, it's you who are dogs because you are perverting the gospel and adding works to the gospel message. And so he's saying, hey, uh, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. And then he says, beware of the concision. Now, if you've ever read that and thought, well, what in the world is a concision? What is he talking about here? The word means uh, mutilation or, or circumcision. And uh, sometimes this is kind of a, a, a thing that you run into in the New Testament. You know, you're reading and all of a sudden you read about circumcision and you're like, well, that was out of nowhere. You know, and you, you know in family devotions, we're going to skip this passage this morning, you know, and uh, we're going to study something else. But uh, we have to remember that when it comes to uh, circumcision, that this was a symbolic representation of the covenant that God made with Abraham all the way back in the book of Genesis. And God said, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bless this nation, and they would symbolize this by the external sign of circumcision. Now, uh, thankfully, when Jesus came in the New Testament, he fulfilled the law, and so circumcision was no longer necessary. But what was taking place here is the Judaizers were still saying that circumcision was necessary for salvation. And this is where uh, the crux of the matter uh, uh, would take place. And so this was the problem. The Bible says this in Acts chapter 15, verse number 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. So this is what the Judaizers were saying. You have to do this in order to be saved. And this fired up Paul. In fact, he wrote a whole letter to the churches in Galatia uh, combating this false theology, this false doctrine of a works-based salvation. And so he was saying, hey, you need to beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. Now you might be thinking, well, we don't really have to have this problem today. No one's really uh, thinking about this today too much in our culture and our society. But the truth is many people are trusting in some work for salvation. 
Maybe it might not be circumcision, but it might be baptism. It might be the Lord's table. It might be another ordinance. And so uh, people are, are confused about this. Sometimes I'll ask people, I'll say, hey, nice to meet you. When did you accept Christ? When did you get saved? And they'll say, oh, when I was eight years old, I got baptized. And I'll say, oh, that's awesome. But when did you get saved? Because if we're not careful, we're going to raise a generation that is equating salvation with something they did. And salvation has nothing to do with what we can do. It has everything to do with what Jesus did on the cross. And so we need to remember this, and we need to uh, proclaim this truth. And so Paul is saying, hey, beware of of these Judaizers coming in. Beware of uh, of the concision. Beware of these things. He he, he put it this way in Galatians chapter 6, verse 15. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. He says this doesn't really matter. What matters is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is is hammering this truth, and he's saying, be very careful about this. And then in verse 3, he says, for we are the circumcision. And basically, what he's saying there is, hey, we are the true circumcision. We are the the true worshipers. We're really worshiping God, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And so he's saying it's not about what we can do in our flesh. We're we're, we're, uh, worshiping God in the spirit. It reminds us of John chapter 4, verse number 23, uh, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. And so that is the goal this morning, that we would be a true worshiper, uh, worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. And so uh, Paul, in these opening verses, verses 1 through 3, what is he telling us? Rest in the safeguard of repetition, uh, to remember the essential foundational truths of the gospel. If you're still with me, would you say amen? This brings us to our second thought this morning. Number two, build your confidence on faith, not flesh. Build your confidence on faith, not on flesh. Now, notice what Paul says in verse number four. He says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh, I more. And so Paul is like, I don't want to brag, but if anybody could brag and have confidence in what they've accomplished, I mean, I've done a lot of things in my life, and I could, I could show you a list of my accomplishments, which he does, but Paul realizes now that this confidence that he once had was a misplaced confidence. How many of you have ever had a misplaced confidence? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, sometimes uh, Katie and I will be driving, and I'm a confident driver. I know where I'm going. I don't need, I don't need maps. I, I, can, I just I know where I'm going, and Katie is a very excellent passenger seat driver. How many of you husbands know what a passenger seat and driver is? And she's constantly kind of sharing little nuggets of directional wisdom for me, you know, and uh, uh, she's constantly trying to help me. But sometimes I'm very confident and I'll say, I know exactly where we're going and, and I'm good. And she's like, I don't know if this is the right way. I'm like, this is right. And then, you know, you know, a little while later when we're lost, I have to come back to Katie and humbly say, will you please look it up on map so you can help me uh, go in the right direction. See, sometimes we can be so confident that we're right but actually so far from the truth. And Paul is realizing that he was once so confident, but the confidence that he had was misplaced. And so he's going to now go on, and he's going to give an example of this and an illustration of this, and he's going to give a resume of his past accomplishments, starting in verse number 5. He's going to go over this resume. Now, now recently this week I was reading uh, about uh, Elon Musk. Uh, someone made a resume for him, and they put it, uh, put it online. I think we have a picture this morning. 
and uh, uh, Elon Musk did not, did not make this, but somebody made it for him, just kind of listing all his accomplishments, and I was kind of having fun reading all this, and uh, uh, he founded all these companies, and, and it says raise $10 million by selling 20,000 flamethrowers flame in four days, and uh, raised a million dollars by uh, selling uh, $0 baseball caps, and, and, uh, and uh, just all kinds of just crazy things that were on his resume. He accomplished so many things. Well, in verses 5 and 6, Paul, Paul is going to do this. He's going to say, okay, here's my, here's my resume. Here's what I've accomplished, okay? So let's look at it in verse, uh, verse number 5. He says, uh, circumcise the eighth day. Now, he says that because that was done in the strictest uh, uh, fashion of the Old Testament law. He said, my parents, they follow the rules to a T. I was circumcised the eighth day uh, of the stock of Israel. This was symbolic of, of the special relationship with God uh, that God had with Israel. And so he said, man, I was of the stock of Israel. And then he said, of the tribe of Benjamin. And so he says, not only was I an Israelite, but I was of the tribe of Benjamin. This was like the elite class. This was like uh, the upper class of the Israelites. The very first ever king came from the tribe of Benjamin. And so Paul said, man, I was, I was circumcised the eighth day. I was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was in Hebrew of the Hebrews. Now what this meant is, uh, in this culture, the Jews kind of dispersed all over Asia Minor. And what would happen sometimes is the Jews would kind of adapt to the culture that they were in. And they would no longer speak Hebrew. They would speak Greek. And so Paul was saying, even though I am fluent in Greek, I also uh, stick with my original uh, language here of Hebrew. So I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was sticking with it. Uh, next, he says, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Uh, the word Pharisee comes from the word that means separated one. He, he was saying, man, I was separated. I was following the Old Testament law uh, down to a T concerning zeal. I was persecuting the church. Paul said, man, I had passion. I had zeal, uh, but he was sincere, uh, but he was sincerely wrong. By the way, uh, just because you are sincere does not mean that you are right. Sometimes people think, man, I have, I, my heart's right in the matter, but just because you, your heart is in it doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. And uh, I was reading recently, uh, John Knox, who was the, the uh, Protestant reformer, he was uh, having this open uh, debate and dialogue with uh, Queen Mary of Scots in the 1500s. And Queen Mary of Scots was telling the people that they needed to uh, participate in Catholic Mass. And she was making this actually uh, law. You had to participate in Catholic uh, Mass. And so John Knox was saying, uh, no, you do not need to do that. And he was openly criticizing her. And so there was this big open debate and all these people yelling and screaming. And one person told John Knox and, and uh, they said, hey, hey, you just need to know that, you know, Queen Mary of Scots, she's very sincere. Her, her heart is in the right place. She, she really believes that this is the right thing to do, which uh, John Knox replied by saying this. The idolatrous Israelites were also sincere when they were offering their children as human sacrifices to Moloch. And he was saying, hey, you can be sincere. That doesn't mean you're right. You can mean well without doing well. And so just because you have some passion, just because you have some zeal, uh, Saul had a lot of zeal. He was persecuting the church, but that confidence that he had was a misplaced confidence. And so he was persecuting the church. Then he says, touching the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. He said, you couldn't find anything wrong against me. I was doing everything that I could right. I was trained at the feet of Gamaliel. I went to the best schools. I had the best education. I, I never messed up. I did everything right. That was his resume. It was pretty impressive. But then he had this realization in the next verse. Verse number seven. He says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. He said, at the end of the day, I realized none of those things mattered when it came to my salvation. <laughs> None of those things really amounted to anything. The Bible says this in Isaiah chapter 64, verse number 6, but all we are as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness, just like that big long list of achievements and accomplishments, are as filthy rags. 
and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And so Paul had this resume that was very impressive, but then he had this realization that, man, none of that actually mattered. I was trusting in my flesh. I had a misplaced confidence. Uh, uh, several years ago, uh, JFK's golf clubs, they, they went in this private auction, and JFK's golf clubs sold for $772,000. Now, uh, those golf clubs were not worth that much money, right? They're just kind of average golf clubs, but why were they so valuable? Why did someone pay such a high dollar uh, for those golf clubs? Well, it was about ownership. Who, who those golf clubs belong to increase the value. And I just want to remind you this morning that your value is not based on a list of accomplishments of what you can do. Your value belongs uh, in the fact that you are born again. Your worth is in your birth. It's about who you belong to. You are a child of God, and that is where your value comes from, not from a list of accomplishments. And so Paul said, man, I was trusting in all of these things, but it was a misplaced confidence. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 26. For the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. Galatians 6.14 says, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Paul said, if I'm going to boast in anything, if I'm going to be proud of anything, it's going to be the cross of Jesus Christ. Yeah. This leads us to our third thought this morning, number three. If we're going to live for what really matters, we have to rest in the safeguard of repetition. And we have to have confidence that's built on faith, not on flesh. But then here's the third thought this morning. Number three, pursue knowing Jesus with everything that you have. Pursue knowing Jesus with everything that you have. Notice verse number eight. Verse number eight. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them uh, but dung that I may win Christ. And so Paul says, man, when I compared all of those accomplishments and when I really thought about everything that I had done, it didn't really matter. But the one thing that did matter, the one thing that meant uh, so much to me and the one thing that I realized actually mattered was the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. See, Paul was saying what really mattered was knowing Jesus. What really mattered was my relationship with him and deeply knowing Jesus on an intimate level. See, the word here is ginosko, and it means more than just an intellectual knowledge. It's actually talking about an intimate knowledge of knowing someone personally. Paul was saying it's not just about accumulating head facts and head knowledge. It's about uh, knowing Jesus and having your relationship with him develop. A.W. Tozer said this, The world is perishing for, uh, for the lack of the knowledge of God, and the church is famishing for want of his presence. 1 John 5.20 says it this way, And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him. That is true. That we can know him. This was the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17, verse number 3, that says this, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God. Jesus said that's what it's all about. That's what matters, that they would know the one true God that we would pursue our knowledge of Jesus and pursue our relationship with Jesus with everything that we have. See, uh, several months ago it was flu season and I was getting all of these calls from our health provider that was saying, reminder, flu shot, reminder, get a flu shot. And they kept on reminding me to get a flu shot. And, you know, when you get a flu shot, what they do is they actually inject you with a little bit of the flu, right? And they inject you with the flu so your body can build up an immunity uh, to uh, the effects of, uh, of the flu. And I'm afraid that when it comes to Christianity that so many people have just enough Jesus that they've built up an immunity to the full effects of the gospel. 
They had just enough Jesus on Sunday morning, just enough Jesus on a small group, just enough Jesus to get by and to get along, to go along. But they are immune to the full effects of what Jesus wants to do in their lives. And Paul said, I don't want any part of that. I don't want just a little bit of Jesus. I want to pursue him with everything that I have. That's what really matters in life. What really matters in life is the knowledge of my Savior. I just want to know him more. And so Paul says, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Now, quickly, as we close, I, I want to just explain that when we pursue Jesus, we're going to understand three things. As we close, we're going to understand three things. Number one, when you pursue a relationship with Jesus, you understand your position. You will understand your position. And this is found in verse number nine. This is one of the most paramount verses in the book of Philippians. And uh, I don't want you to miss it. Verse number nine says this, and being found in him. Now remember that phrase, in him. We'll come back to it. Very important. If you mark in your Bible or you like to circle things or underline things, uh, underline those words, in him. Not having mine own righteousness. So Paul said, I recognize that it wasn't about my righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith. Everybody say faith faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And so Paul here is talking about righteousness and he's saying it's not my righteousness, it's the righteousness of God that has been accredited, it has been imputed, is the Bible word, imputed to our account. It means that God's righteousness has been placed to our account by faith. It's what the Bible teaches in Romans chapter 4 verse number 3. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, there was faith, and it was counted unto him. It was accredited unto him. It was imputed unto him for righteousness. And this is a beautiful uh, theological truth that is so encouraging and it's so profound when we can try to do our best to understand what uh, the meaning of these verses mean. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For he hath made him to be sin for us, this is what many Bible teachers call the great exchange. He has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And that's what Paul is saying here in Philippians, being found in him, in him. Now this is so unique to Christianity, talking about our union with Christ, that we are in Christ, that we are in him because you won't hear about this in other religions. You don't hear a Buddhist talking about how they're in Buddha. You don't hear a Muslim saying I'm in Muhammad. But over 87 times in the New Testament, we learn that we are in Christ, that we are in him. And what does this mean, our union with Christ? What is this idea that Paul is saying here in verse number nine? Several months ago, I was invited to go see one of our teenagers. Uh, he races professional race cars, Ethan Cheek. He's here this morning. And uh, I went to uh, San Bernardino. We went to go watch Ethan race. And I remember we were excited about seeing Ethan race. And, and I was asking his mom, you know, I'd never been there before. I didn't know anything about what was about to take place. And so I said, uh, what color is his car and what number is his car? Because I knew that I wasn't going to be able to, to recognize which one is Ethan. I believe we have a picture this morning of Ethan's car. So there's Ethan. He's racing around with all of these other adults, you know, and uh, Ethan's out there doing a great job. And once I figured out which car was his, I was able to identify where Ethan was. But you know what's interesting is I wasn't actually looking at Ethan. I was looking at the car that he was in. And I was following Ethan, but I wasn't seeing Ethan. I was just seeing the car that he was in. And this is what the Bible is teaching, that when God looks at you, he does not see your failures, your sin, your mistakes. He sees the Savior that died for you. You are in Christ Jesus. His righteousness has been imputed. It has been accredited to your account. Is anybody thankful today that we can have the righteousness of God put on our account? Paul is saying, man, I'm starting to understand my position. 
I'm starting to understand that I'm in Christ Jesus. Now, of course, we can still grieve the Holy Spirit. We can still grieve him when we sin, but positionally before God, we have a perfect righteous standing. Paul's saying, man, I'm learning about my position. But then he goes on in verse number 10, and he's going to talk now about, we learn about God's power. So we learn about our position, but then we learn about God's power. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. He says, man, I just want to know more about Jesus. Ginosko, the word know. I want to know him deeply, intimately, and the power of his resurrection. The Bible says this in Colossians 1, verse number 11. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. See, a good indication that you are growing in your relationship with God is that you are not trusting in your own strength, but that you are learning more and more about his power and his strengths. You can't have a Christ-honoring marriage in your own strength. It's got to be according to his power. You can't raise a godly family in your own strength. It's got to be according to his power. And Paul said, that's what I want to tap into. I want to experience and know the power of God on a deep level. But not only do I want to know of his power, and this is where the rubber meets the road, because who doesn't want to know about God's power? He says, not only do I want to know about God's power, but then he says, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul says, man, I want to know God's power. Also want to know about God's pain. See, we typically don't want to know about pain. We typically want a trouble-free life. But the truth is, a trouble-free life is a shallow life. And Paul said, I want to know about God's power, but I want to become a partner with him through his sufferings. See, suffering for our faith is not a punishment, it's a privilege to become more like him and to know of his sufferings, to know about the pain that Jesus experienced. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us. See, I, I love that thought, that our afflictions, if we have the right perspective, we can train our afflictions. They're gonna start working for us. We're not gonna work for our afflictions. They're, they're gonna work for us, far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. While we look at, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Paul said, I want to become a partner with Christ. I want to know of his power, but I want to be faithful in the midst of my suffering. And see, Paul would go on and he would experience all kinds of suffering. He would be uh, stoned to death, le left for dead. He would be shipwrecked. He would be mocked. He would be beaten. He would be belittled. And Paul traded that list of accomplishments that he had for a list of afflictions. He said, I had it all, but now I'm experiencing the afflictions and I'm getting to know more and more about the power of God and uh, his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And the last verse that we'll look at is verse number 11. It says this, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, Paul was not doubting what he had just said. He wasn't saying, man, I think this is gonna happen. He was uh, demonstrating great humility. He was saying, man, if anybody could experience the resurrection of the dead, if anybody could experience eternal life. Wow, I can't believe that God would be that good to me, that I can experience eternal life. And this morning, I just want to say this, that if you don't know that you can have eternal life, this resurrection from the dead, you can know that. You can know God personally, you can know God intimately, and you can know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, that if you were to die today, that you would spend all of eternity in heaven forever in Christ Jesus but it's not because of what we can do. It's not in baptism. It's not in church attendance. It's not in reading your Bible every day. It's only by the grace of God. And that is what Paul is communicating so heavily in these first 11 verses of chapter three. It's about his righteousness imputed on our account. The Bible puts it this way in John 3:36. He that believeth on the Son 
have everlasting life. Let's all stand together as I close and read this verse. And he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, there is only one good work that can get you to heaven. And it's the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that is our message today, that Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. That is our message. And today you can know him. Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at Rock Hill Church.